Well, good morning, everybody. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We just finished up with chapter 13 last time. And uh, and yes, I'm uh, teaching remotely once again, rather than uh, over at the church. Uh, we, we got some visitors from out of state, and that's good. And I don't know, we wouldn't have had to necessarily quarantine because of that, but we wanted to be on the safe side, or eventually we just decided that should uh, err on the side of caution if we're going to err at all. So that's the deal. So I'm teaching from home, and and uh, sorry for the technical difficulties that uh, I ran into there. I don't know how I did it still. Anyway, let's get on with chapter 14. Let's have prayer first, though. Our Father, we thank you for your care for us and uh, your guiding hand in our lives. We thank you for the blessings that you bring our way, and we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We, help, we pray that you would help us to understand it and what you have for us in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, 1 Corinthians 14 is, yes, I know that camera's still off. Wish I could figure out how to make it turn on. Hang on. I think in order to, aha, there we go. Let's see. All right. I think that's going to turn. Yeah, my video's on there. Got that. Okay. Thanks. Slowly getting caught up to speed. I, I don't know what the, uh, what was it threw me off so much this morning. I kept getting notices that the meeting had already closed. That can't be true. But anyway, okay. Chapter four. 14, rather, chapter 14, on the use of spiritual gifts for the benefit of the church. And uh, This uh, chapter can be broken down into four sections. Um, so the first is prophesying is better than speaking in tongues. And that's in verses 1 to 5. And then spiritual gifts are for the good of the church, in verses 6 to 14. And then worship should be done in a way that is understandable, in verses 15 to 20. And I'm going to hope to get through those three this morning. Then uh, next week, Lord willing, I want to get through the, the last two sections. Um, tongues and prophecy have their proper uses, verses 21 to 25. And Christian assemblies should not be scenes of disorder and confusion, verses 26 to actually should be 40 there. Sorry about that. Okay. Well, all right. All right. Let's uh, move on and uh, let's deal with some, let's, you know, get to the part of the, the lesson guaranteed to be free of errors. The uh, reading of the scripture. At least, there may be errors of reading, but uh, the scripture doesn't have any errors. So here we go. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more, that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Now, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues... What will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? 
getting the lifeless things that are a flute or a harp in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? If the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you. Unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then you do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the or if then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray, he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? You were giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind, so that I may instruct others also, rather than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Okay. Now, this is a difficult chapter because it deals with tongues, for one thing, which since the early 20th century has become a controversial issue in the church. And I suppose it's difficult also just because of, um, well, just because of how it is and its structure and what was going on in the <clears throat> church there in Corinth. So the question arises, what is speaking in tongues? Because as you read chapter 14 here, at least I, and I would assume others too, and I think others have, uh, gotten the impression, and I get the impression, that um, what's going on here might be at least in part different from what was going on in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. So, why is that? Well, okay. In Acts chapter 2, verses 4 to 11, Speaking in tongues was speaking in a foreign language. Actually, a number of different foreign languages were spoken by apparently different speakers among the apostles. And um, at different times, perhaps one spoke in one language for a while and then spoke in another language, and then another one started in and spoke in yet another language, and so on. You can read about that there in uh, Acts uh, chapter 2 and verses 4 to 11. <clears throat> and what's interesting is, the, the speakers of those language were speakers of those languages were present and understood the message. Now I don't mean the people who were speaking at the time, but people who spoke those languages. All those different languages that were being spoken, there were native speakers of those languages present at the time, and they understood the message. Okay, so in Acts chapter two, speaking in tongues meant speaking in a foreign language that people understood. That's clear. Okay. Uh, they said, we hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. All right. Now, here in chapter 14 of, of 1 Corinthians, though, and in verse 2 and following, 
number of other verses sound this way, the listeners do not understand the message. And we just got done reading a, a minute or two ago, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, right? I, mean, I guess God understands. Um, and, uh, well, we get to whether the person speaking understands, that's another question. But anyway, the, the speaking of tongues that's going on in the church at Corinth and that's dealt with in chapter 14 is speaking in a way that no one understands, no one else understands. So that's different. That's quite different than Acts chapter 2. Okay, and then in verse 4 and in a number of other verses throughout chapter 14, the speaker... Um, seems to understand what he's saying. So sometimes in some of the verses, verse 4 is one, the speaker seems to understand what he's saying. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now I interpret that to mean the person speaking in a tongue, even at least in, in verse 4 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians here, understands what he's saying because he edifies himself. Now, there are some who say, well, this doesn't mean he can understand. He might be edifying himself even though he can't understand a single word he's saying. But I beg to differ. I don't believe that. Uh, the, the people who say this say, well, he's so excited to praise God that he praises God in inarticulate babbling that uh, no one understands, and uh, but he's edifying himself. No, I don't believe that. Uh, if he is edifying himself, he's got to understand the content of the words he's saying. Uh, you know, I, I often think and wish that uh, maybe you, my listeners, could uh, get as much of a blessing out of these lessons as I get myself out of studying them. I study them and I, I think, oh, this is such wonderful scripture truth. And I wish I could somehow communicate this. And I finish up every lesson thinking, well, I, I, I didn't do it as well as uh, the Lord did it to, you know, spoke to me from the scripture. I, I can't communicate that well. Sometimes it seems not very well at all. But um, at least, you know, I can be edified by my own teaching as I understand myself reading the words of Scripture and doing my best to give the sense of them. Uh, that edifies me. But if I couldn't understand what I was saying, uh, that wouldn't edify me. If you can understand what I'm saying and you, uh, you can't understand how I could be. But you, have to take, you take that on faith. I can understand what I'm saying and, and it does edify me. But, um, so I'm going to say the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself means that the person speaking understands what he's saying. But in verse 14 of chapter 14 here, so 1 Corinthians 14, 14, and in a number of other verses, the speaker does not seem to understand. So in, in 14, 14, the person speaking in tongues seems not to understand what he's saying. He says here, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, a word on that. I believe that in a number of places in his epistles, Paul uses this manner of speaking. And he says, if I do this, then thus and thus. It doesn't mean that he actually does that, I don't think. To tip my mind, that doesn't mean that he actually does that. But if I were to do this... This is what would be going on in me. However that may be, he says, if I, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And as we'll see, you'll see as I go along here a little bit further, I, I don't believe Paul actually does that. I don't believe 
and from other things he says in this chapter. I don't believe Paul actually uh, was in the habit or, or maybe ever uh, prayed in an inarticulate babble that he himself could not understand, just babbling to the Lord. I don't think he did that, but he's saying, if I were to do this the way you guys are doing it, my spirit would be praying, but my mind would be unfruitful. Okay. Now, I'm aware of two theories of tongues among conservative evangelical scholars. Could there be other theories about tongues among conservative evangelical scholars? Theories that I haven't heard of. Oh, you, you bet there could. There sure could. Uh, there's a lot that I don't know about. You can just fill books and books and libraries. In fact, people have done it. But uh, of stuff that I don't know. But there are at least two theories that I do know about. Uh, two theories of tongues among conservative evangelical scholars. Now, well, okay, yeah, these would be conservatives. These are people that I would recognize as brethren and, and uh, whose teaching I would like to listen to, even if I don't agree with every word. Anyway, uh, one theory is that the speaking in tongues was ecstatic babbling. Now, uh, you may be thinking, wait a minute, that's what the um, modern tongue-speaking people believe. Well, yes, that much is what the modern tongue-speaking people believe. Um, the modern uh, tongues movement um, got started with the Pentecostal movement back in the first decade of the 20th century. The Pentecostal movement got started in California, in the United States. Now, uh, of course, they claimed it was a throwback to true New Testament Christianity. I beg to differ with that, too. But anyway, it started in California in the United States in the first decade of the 20th century. In fact, some people have said that the uh, 1906 San Francisco earthquake possibly helped spur the growth of this new teaching, not by shaking the ground or anything like that, but by, by uh, shaking up people and, and, uh, and making an impression on people so that they were open to thinking God's going to shake up the religious world too. Well, I don't know about that, but it did start about that time, and the idea and was in the modern tongues movement, beginning now about 115 years ago, 110, 115 years ago, the idea was that people supposedly would be moved by the Holy Spirit to start babbling in, in just this jabber that... Um, they couldn't understand and, and no one else could understand unless they had a, a supernatural gift of interpreting inarticulate ecstatic babbling. And that that supposedly was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to uh, throw stones at those who believe that way. You know, one thing about having taught in, uh, I realized I was counting up in my head this morning and um, including part-time online teaching I've taught for a total of uh, four Christian colleges over the years, uh, four different ones. And that doesn't include, by the way, TCU, which is not a Christian college, just to remind you all, in case you all are confused about that, it's a secular private university as TCU. But I actually have taught for four Christian colleges, and some of them were one denomination and some of another. And uh, some of the lot, lot of them, like most Christian colleges, tend to draw people of different denominations as distance and 
and a good recruiting department uh, tends to trump uh, theological agreement. Anyway, um, you run into a lot of people. And uh, so, yeah, I got some Christian friends who, who not, well, yeah, Christian friends, I'd say, uh, who disagree with me on this. And, and I love them in the Lord, but uh, I really think they're mistaken on this. And one of them may be off somewhere in her church this morning preaching the same thing about me, and that's okay. But <clears throat> and you'll just have to, we'll have to each answer to God for what we believe. But anyway, they believe that the Pentecostal movement, the tongues movement, believe that tongues, the, the gift of tongues, the biblical gift of tongues is ecstatic babbling, and that that's given by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say here that some conservative evangelical scholars believe that it is ecstatic babbling, I don't mean that. Okay, I don't mean that. I would not class Pentecostals and Charismatics among conservative evangelical scholars. I mean, other people might think so, but I don't. When I say that some conservative evangelical scholars believe that, that the speaking in tongues was ecstatic babbling, I mean, they believe that was what was going on there at the church in Corinth and maybe in other places in the New Testament church. Um, I'm not clear whether they really think the Holy Spirit was doing this or not. So in that sense, I can almost kind of say, yeah, maybe that some of that could have been going on. We'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, that's what some would say. Um, and what I've heard taught is uh, by, by some of these is that this ecstatic babbling was borrowed from idolatrous worship. That uh, in the temples there in Corinth, along with all of the other uh, disreputable, uh, appalling things that went on in those temples was also just uh, human noisemaking. I think um, I may have mentioned that in some of the temples they like to bang metal together and, and make noises because they thought that somehow added to the glory of their God. Just, just noise for noise sake. And apparently they did this vocally too and they would get in with, in the worship of their false gods, in the worship of their idols, in these idol temples. And they would get into these ecstatic states, and they would just babble words that didn't, or not even words, just syllables, nonsense syllables that meant nothing. So um, they call that fluent aphasia or something. It's considered a neurological problem, but in their case, it was brought on by uh, an ecstatic state. So anyway, what some scholars say is, well, the Corinthian church had picked up this. And they said, well, they, they babble this noise to their gods, so, so we will use the same method to worship the one true God. Note to all of us, uh, the methods that are used in worshiping false gods may not be appropriate for the worship of the one true God. File that away and remember it. Could this have been going on in Corinth? Ah. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Now, the other theory that I've heard from conservative evangelical scholars is that, and this is, by the way, as I've told you before, this is what I believe, certainly that the biblical gift of tongues, the gift of tongues that was given by the Holy Spirit, was an ability to speak a foreign language that you had not learned. I think I may have mentioned to you oh, many months ago that I uh, once met a missionary to the Navajo who believed uh, to have experienced this. Um, on one occasion, there was an emergency and something needed to be said. 
and the missionary said it, and uh, later the Navajo said, well, you spoke to us now. And uh, the mysteries, well, no, I can't speak any Navajo at all. So maybe on that one occasion that had happened, but I, I wasn't there, I couldn't say. But I believe the New Testament gift of tongues was uh, the ability to speak a foreign language without having to learn it. Okay, now, what was going on in the church at Corinth? Well, now remember some things that we know about the church of Corinth. Let's take some things we know. We know that church was largely carnal. Maybe not everybody there, but a whole lot of those folks in that church were carnal, right? Yes, it says that in chapter three. And then we know that they were divided into factions, which were always trying to one-up each other and get the better of each other. That they were given to boasting. It says your boasting is not good. Right, so they had a boasting problem. And they liked to show off about spiritual gifts, right? We've just been dealing with that in the last couple of chapters where uh, they thought highly of themselves for having flashy, showy spiritual gifts. And we also know that they thought that the gift of tongues was just one of the best uh, gifts to have. And of course, Paul has to set them straight on that. There are other gifts much more important than the gift of tongues. And we're obviously hearing about that today. And there are more important things than spiritual gifts. Agape love, right? Yes. So, knowing all that about the Church of Corinth, uh, let's see. there we go. What what was going on there? Well, I would say both and neither, maybe. Now, I'm not dogmatic about this, and you may believe something else, and that's fine. And, and sometime when we have time, time I'd, I'd love to, to hear about what y'all uh, may think was going on there. But this is my my best effort so far, at least that I've been able to come up with, to kind of try to make sense out of these different things, that in Acts, the real gift of tongues was the Holy Spirit giving you the ability to speak a foreign language without having to learn it. That what was going on there in Corinth, people were, were speaking this, and sometimes the speaker understood it, but the listeners did not. And sometimes the speaker didn't understand it, nor the listeners either. either. Okay, here's what I think makes sense of that. These people, in their eagerness to have this spiritual gift and to show off with it and to be the big man on campus by having this important spiritual gift, were, if not outright counterfeiting it, maybe at best, some of them were convincing themselves that they had the gift of tongues when they really did not. If you think about it, if gifts are for the edification of the church, is the Holy Spirit actually going to give, and I may be out on a limb here, but this is what I think, is the Holy Spirit actually going to give a gift to speak in a foreign language that nobody understands? If nobody there understands it, and it's not gonna edify anybody, we're gonna go through this verse by verse in a minute, if nobody understands it, it's not going to edify anybody. Is the Holy Spirit going to give that gift? No. You mean there was things going on in the church of Corinth of which God was not the author? Yes. Later in the chapter, next week, Lord willing, we're to find God is not the author of confusion, but of peace is in all the churches of the saints. And the implication is they had confusion going on in that church. 
So I think there were people speaking in tongues there in Corinth, and the Holy Spirit had not given them that gift. I suspect there were people who had some knowledge of a foreign language and uh, convinced themselves uh, that uh, it was really the gift of tongues if they would launch out into that language and start speaking it. But they had actually learned the language the old-fashioned way. Uh, people spoke more languages that day than, than we do today. Um, especially Americans tend not to speak very many languages. People in the ancient world would have spoke more, would have had at least some kind of passing acquaintance. So maybe someone's got a, a listening acquaintance with, with Thracian, and he's in the service there, and he gets all excited, and I want to convince people that I can speak in tongues. So he jumps up and starts babbling in Thracian, in Thracian the best he can. He understands it, mostly, sort of. Nobody else does. Possibly not even a Thracian who might be sitting in the service, but I don't suppose there were any of those. I think that was going on there. That's, that's my, my best uh, guess. And I think also there probably were some people there in their church at Corinth during their services, which we know were disorderly and not necessarily what God had ordered up at all. I think there were some people doing ecstatic babbling, such as they had learned to do in the, uh, in the idol temples in their before Christ days. And now here they are. But they're carnal Christians, and they want to be important like everybody else. And I'll babble, and I'll call it the gift of tongues. You know how people will sometimes do that when they want to, uh, they're telling a story where somebody speaks a foreign language, and they just throw in some babbling uh, to illustrate that. Well, maybe what they're doing is saying, hey, I, I, I have the gift of tongues too. Listen to this. And they start babbling. That's my take on what I think was going on at Corinth. Now, we'll go through this verse by verse, and for the most part, uh, I think it'll make just as much sense if you have another interpretation of what they were doing there, but anyway, that's what I think. Onward. Okay, verse 1, quickly now. So, he says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So whatever you do, whatever you have to do, make sure your life is characterized by agape love. The pursuit there, uh, again, people who, who have the Greek language, which I don't, tell me that the verb for pursue is very strong. It's actually a stronger verb, a stronger expression than desire earnestly. So desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, but much more so pursue love. So it's kind of like chase after it, hunt it down, track it down and get it in a good way. Agape. We need to have that for sure, no matter what else we have. We never have, a, we never exercise any other, any spiritual gift, not any other, but any spiritual gift. If we don't have a spiritual gift, we can have agape and we need to. Remember also that agape is God's love that is, is a part of his character and that God's love cannot be separated from God's holiness. Francis Schaeffer said, and famously said often, you must not choose between the holiness of God and the love of God. You must have both, holiness of God and the love of God. It's, if, without the holiness of God, it's not really the love of God. And similarly, without, without the love of God, the holiness of God is really just not, it's denatured, it's not what it truly is. So we have to have both. Okay. As to spiritual, seek prophecy before all others. So not tongues. Okay. Onward to the next few verses here. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. 
for no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, so prophesying is preferable to speaking in tongues because prophecy benefits the church. Notice here he says that one who prophes or, or one who speaks in tongues in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Uh, remember, it's mystery is not supposed to be something that's unknown. It's not to be something like, you know, the, oh, you have to figure it out. No. The biblical meaning, the New Testament meaning is a mystery is something you can't figure out. You can't figure out a mystery. It's it's a secret that belongs to God, which then he chooses to reveal to us. So mystery is something we cannot know unless God chooses to reveal it to, to us. So, so, well, maybe you're speaking in a tongue. What if you're revealing the great secrets of God that he's chosen to reveal to you? But no one's going to understand. If you're speaking in a language, they don't understand. Prophecy is preferable because people can understand it. Okay. Now, now onwards, uh, verse 5. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if you if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? So tongues don't edify because people can't understand them. Remember, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to help God's people become more like Christ. By the way, that's sort of an unpacking of the idea of edifying the church. What is the church? Well, it's sure not a building. The church is the assembly of believers. It's God's people, right? And we edify the church. Edify uh, means to build up. And uh, we don't we're not building up their pride. We're not building up their self-esteem. We're building them up in the Lord. We're helping them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's what we want to do. So, and which means help them to become more like Christ. So the purpose of spiritual gifts is to help God's people become more like Christ. So the desirability of any gift is to be measured by its usefulness for that purpose. The purpose of making God's people more like Christ. So is this a desirable gift? Well, is is it useful for making people like Christ? Well, what about yeah, speaking German right now? No, I don't think that's going to help make anybody like Christ. So that's not useful right now. I, I don't have a biblical gift of tongues. I had to learn every language I speak or butcher or whatever, um, all, you know, the old-fashioned way, but uh, anyway, but having a gift of tongues, whenever you know, when it means speaking in a language that people don't understand, it's not useful to make people like Christ. So, in order to help God's people become more like Christ, we need to say something they can understand, and that has applicability for us, even if we're not tempted to speak in a language nobody else can speak, or to babble ecstatically. We need to say things in ways that people can understand. If we decide to use a bunch of big words to show off and impress people, it's not going to do a lot of good. You know, I, people look like I need to be careful and not, not to drag in too many Greek words to the point that, you know, it, the eyes begin to glaze over and you say it's all Greek to me or whatever. Well, it needs to be understandable. And, and those of us who, who teach need to do our best. And as we do, I'm sure 
our try our very best to try to make it so folks can understand. Okay, moving on to verse 7 and following. Yet in lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you. Unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Okay. You know, you can appreciate a musical performance if you can recognize a pattern of the different notes. You can recognize a tune. Now, um, I know there are some people who seem to appreciate music that uh, doesn't have any tune that I can recognize, but I assume they can recognize some kind of pleasing pattern, something that might be called a tune in that. When I was attending the University of Hamburg, there was a guy on my floor who um, was a Palestinian. He had brought along, I got a bunch of his favorite uh, tapes or whatever they were, uh, and uh, I don't know, it was vinyl or eight track or whatever it was back in those days. Anyway, he would play, uh, these tapes of this Palestinian, I guess, Arab, whatever, music, with some woman uh, singing, I think, uh, yodeling, yowling, I don't know. I, I heard more of it than I wanted. Uh, I could not make out anything that resembled a tune to me. So to me, it was, you know, I, I couldn't have told what was being played. Some people actually, even some Americans had that trouble with American music, uh, one of the people I study in my, my work is Ulysses S. Grant. And Ulysses Grant, the famous Civil War general and later president of the United States, once said that uh, he could only recognize two tunes. <coughs> one of them was Yankee Doodle, and the other one wasn't. Well, I um, hope we uh, enjoy music more than that. But uh, the harp and the flute need to give clear sounds to be able to understand it. And if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, right? If the soldiers are going to uh, obey the order, they're going to have to understand the bugle call. Uh, if they can't understand the bugle call, if they can't tell if it's playing reveille, taps, or charge, or boots and saddles, or officers call, they're not going to know what they're supposed to do. And so also you. Unless you use your tongue, your organ of speech, to say things that are clear, going to know what you're saying. You'd be speaking into the air. That is, you'd just be wasting your effort, wasting your words, just making noise, but not doing anybody any good. Okay. Words that you speak will be useful only if people can understand them. That's almost, uh, almost goes without saying. Just 10 or 11. There are perhaps a great many kind of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Well, there are many different languages. Actually, the uh, Greek word here for language is a little different word for language, unusual word, I guess. Uh, see, phonon, I think, uh, is different voices, but it can mean languages, and in this context, it does mean languages. There are many different voices, languages, in the world. And uh, actually, and none of them is without meaning. That is, none of them is a phonon. And none of them is without a voice. So it's kind of a play on words. There are many different voices in the world, and none of them is without a voice. There are many different languages, and none of them is without meaning. 
But, I mean, it's got a meaning to somebody, right? But if the listener doesn't understand the meaning, it's all just gibberish to him. Okay? Um, actually, the uh, Greeks, the word barbarian, I, I, will be a barbarian uh, I will be a barbarian to him. He's a barbarian to me. Barbarian actually meant someone who does not speak Greek. And it was actually an onomatopoeia, um, a form of onomatopoeia, because of um, the, the syllables bar bar. He said, um, people who don't speak Greek, it's just, you know, yeah, I, we spoke to these Thracians or these, whatever they were, Phoenicians or Egyptians or whatever, but they just answered back in their bar bar voices. Actually, Homer actually writes it. They just, they had, they just said nothing but those bar bar voices. Like they were saying to us, bar, 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 bar. Nonsense. Just nonsense syllables. And kind of contemptuous of the Greeks to say that. But I guess we need the Greeks to, well, anyway. But if I just say things that can't be understood, if I'm speaking a language that no one understands, I may as well just be uttering nonsense syllables. Okay. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, almost, uh, I would think maybe it's a slight... Uh, not really sarcasm there. Well, something like that. You're zealous. You're maybe zealous in the wrong way of spiritual gifts. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Not for showing off and impressing people, but for the edification of the church. Verse 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. And by the way, this is why I believe that Paul was not really praying with an articulate uh, babbling, praying with ecstatic babbling that he himself could not understand. Because he says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. So I believe when Paul prayed, uh, he prayed um, in words that he could understand himself. And when he sang, he did too. Okay. So, if you're seeking spiritual gifts, and you Corinthians seem to be so zealous about that, right? If you're seeking spiritual gifts, seek those that will make the believers more like Christ. Not that will impress people, but that will help people to move up and move on in their Christian walk. If you want to speak in a different tongue, make sure you interpret so that others may profit from the message. So, he leaves it open here and in other verses that, now you can speak in an unknown tongue in the church as long as you interpret, or somebody interprets afterwards and tells everybody what it actually means. Of course, if you're going to tell them all what it means in the language they all understand, it seems to me you may as well do that in the first place and not waste time with that foreign tongue. Those of us who teach have enough trouble getting our message across in the allotted time without saying it all in a foreign language. And if you've ever, by the way, if you've ever been in a situation of speaking with an interrupter, I mean, an interpreter, or you say a sentence or two, and then he says it in the foreign language, and then you say another sentence. That sermons take twice, as, or, or lectures or whatever, take twice as long that way. But anyway, make sure that it's said in the language people can understand. And there's no place for ecstatic babbling in Christian worship. Did I just say that? I did just say that. I know my tongue's... Modern tongues, brethren, would not like that. Sorry, brethren, if, 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 that, if, if you all are listening to this online. I don't believe there's any place for ecstatic babbling in Christian worship. I will pray with the Spirit and with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the mind also. Okay. 
Your mind should worship right along with your spirit. Okay? Verse 16, 17. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. You might have some good things to say, maybe, not if you're doing inarticulate babbling, but uh, you might have some good things to say, but you say it in another language, uh, it won't do any good unless it can be understood. Amen means that's true. And if you just said it in a foreign language, just, you know, praise the Lord for five minutes and give a testimony in Russian, and somebody else is sitting here and doesn't speak any Russian or, or not enough and can't understand you, um, how can he say amen to that? He doesn't even know what you said. All right. Verse 18 and 19. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, you see this, and again, our tongues, brethren, they would say, ah, there, see, Paul spoke in tongues a whole lot more than anybody at Corinth. Well, now, what do we mean speaking in tongues? He means speaking in foreign languages. In his many travels, Paul undoubtedly spoke many different languages or tongues. We know when he was there at Jerusalem, he was speaking to the big crowd there when he got arrested and everything. And he was speaking to the crowd there in their language. And then when they heard him in their language, they were quiet, I guess Aramaic. Um, and then, but the Romans couldn't understand because they probably spoke Latin and Koine Greek. But they didn't understand Aramaic, which seems kind of strange seeing as they were stationed in that country. But anyway, Paul undoubtedly spoke in many different languages. It's possible that God may have helped him with this, sometimes through a miraculous gift of tongues, allowing him to speak languages without having to learn them. That's possible. The real gift of tongues might have been given to Paul at different times. He doesn't say so. Uh, we never hear that that's the case in Scripture that I know of. I can't think of any of that being mentioned of Paul. And he was a pretty learned man. I tend to think he had to learn all of his languages the hard way, the same way that you and I have to. But it's possible. But those languages were for speaking to, however he may have come by those languages, they were for speaking to people who understood them, not for impressing people in the church. Okay? So he's not going to come to the church there in Corinth where they speak um, Koine Greek, and maybe some Latin, maybe a couple people speak Aramaic or whatever. And he's not going to come there and start speaking to them in Aramaic which few, maybe, if anybody in the church would speak. And, and they can't understand him. It's, look at me. See how smart I am? No. The point of speaking to people in the church is so that they will understand you. And so, by the way, I don't believe Paul spoke uh, at all in tongues in the church in the sense that they were doing, speaking something that no one could understand. In verse 20, the last verse I'm going to cover this morning, says, uh, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, Yet in evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be mature. So uh, meaningless babbling is for children. So brother, do not be children in your thinking. Yeah. Now to evil, now I don't want you to be all uh, well-educated about evil. I don't want you to know all the different words and all the different ways and all the different things that pertain to all the different ways that you can get into all kinds of wickedness. You know, just be ignorant of that stuff and, and don't know. Be, be the person that will talk about a bad movie. You just sit there with a blank look on your face because you honestly don't know what the world they're talking about. 
And then afterwards, somebody said, oh, well, it's a movie. You wouldn't like it because it's, yeah. Be that way. This is an evil. Be infants. And it's actually be real little children. So you don't be children in your thinking. Now, when it comes to thinking about evil, when it comes to wickedness and knowledge of wickedness, yeah, not only be children, you just be babies in that. And don't know anything about it if you just stay far from that. But in your thinking, be mature. So think in a mature way. Is it going to help anything to babble? Now, a child would think, yeah, I'm going to show off to these people. Children love to show off. Look, Mom, no hands. Well, that might not have been a good idea. But you know how it is, is, is it when you're a little kid and Mom and Dad are watching and maybe we never completely get over that uh, Mom and Dad are watching. Mom and Dad will like this. Well, um, that's especially how children are. I'm going to show off. Well, we need to get beyond that, okay? Let's... Let's put away showing off. Look how look how good I am. Look how smart I am. Look how gifted I am. Look at look at what gifts God has given. No, no, no. Let's think in a mature way. Let's uh, be not children in our thinking, and let's think of how we can, you know, if we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, let's do the things the Lord Jesus wants us to do. Let's help His people to become more like Him. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this scripture today, and we pray that you would help us to take it to heart and live it and understand it. We ask your blessing in the service to follow. We pray that you'd be with uh, Brother Robert as he brings the message, and help us as we listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother Robert, all yours.